We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Don't start like that. <laughs> no, I have to. It was rough, man. It was rough. You know what I was thinking about? Uh, did you watch Game of Thrones? No. <laughs> no. Okay. I did. Uh, and I was a huge fan of Game of Thrones. And now uh, I think about the things I liked about Game of Thrones, like in the first six seasons. And I like briefly have this moment where I'm like, ah, that was fun. And then all I think about is how it ended and how disastrous the ending was. And it just makes me mad at the entirety of the the whole thing, like the whole process of uh, falling love in love with the show and then it betraying me at the end. And now this is what it is because the Suns technically, right, they had their best season of all time in the regular season. And I don't know that I'm going to be able to have positive memories about that regular season without coming back to the disaster that was Game 7 at home against the Dallas Mavericks. Time will heal those wounds. Uh, and, and in time, I do think you'll be able to look back on this season and there will be some things that you cherish from it. But yeah, I mean, there's no sugarcoating it. Um, if I'm being honest, how, how do you feel today? I feel great. And I don't know if that's a weird reaction and it, or if it's like counterintuitive, but like, how do you physically feel today? I, um, I feel like I I've, don't know. Maybe this is, maybe this is oversharing. Okay. I've always been pretty good at like compartmentalizing my emotions yeah. in that I'm like relatively in control <laughs> over how I feel. So like even yesterday I was like, I was relatively fine. I, you know. And other people that other people don't they you know their emotions are tied to the games a little bit more yeah I think honestly I think the suffering through the stretch of like 18 19 20 wins helped me to cope with losses 100%. in a way that you know because you just I watched those games you know I still watch and the fact so. and the fact that that's when we started the podcast and all that like you know it can't get yeah. that bad like it's definitely important to keep that in perspective but just just to expand on what I mean. Last night, or, or this morning, I, I went to bed. I slept like a baby, man. I woke up, <laughs> and, and let me be clear, I woke up feeling like a clean slate, like a weight had been lifted, a total uh, absolution <laughs> in knowing that I don't have to defend this trash-ass basketball organization for one second longer because last night's game was so bad that I went through all the stages of grief by the end of the first half. Like I was watching yeah. with my roommate, who's also a Suns fan. By the second quarter, we were just laughing. Like we were, we were screaming and then we were just laughing. And it was so bad. Like maybe a lot of people would felt differently 
uh, about this game. If if you lose on a Luca game winner, it's a heart wrenching experience and and whatever. But you, you know you still feel that you can salvage something. Uh, and don't get me wrong, there's something to salvage from this season and this roster and this core now as well. But after a game like that, and knowing that there truly are no excuses, there's truly no reason to defend anyone up or down the organization, on the roster, coaching staff, the GM, any of it. Just knowing that is like, it's like a release, man. It's like, I did my part. I did all the fucking podcasts this year. I did the videos. I cheered for the team. We did the watch parties. <laughs> our job is a lot easier. I know our job yeah. is a lot easier, but it's like, <laughs> we we showed up. They did not show up. But that's not on me. So weirdly, I feel pretty good today. And I feel like I was able to approach this point of acceptance so quickly where now we could talk about the game like a little more if you want i don't know if you want to but the only thing i'm mm-hmm. the only thing i'm already thinking about at this point is like moving forward and how do you set fire to this essentially and move on you know because you you just can't yeah. you can't maintain yeah. the status quo going into next season we know that changes must come and the only question is to what extent uh basically how big will those changes be yeah it's almost you know it's funny because I, I i'll start here i guess you don't put much much stock into the fact that chris paul went 14 for 14 in a closeout game against the pelicans and then limped away from this game with apparent an apparent quad injury that doesn't change how you feel about the outcome of that game any or at least this series in any way well how would it how would it change it i believe well, that you said we've, no, we've said you know, for a while chris paul was probably injured and sure enough he is injured like i believe him mm-hmm. for the record but even if you take the chris paul limping away from this series at face value i i mean all along it was weird that he was posting like you know six points per game in this series right it was obvious to anyone mm-hmm. with eyes and i know no one five assists i know in the last four or the last five games everyone around the nba community right now you know they've got patrick fucking beverly on espn they're all doing their victory <laughs> lap over chris paul's hobbled body i get it honestly i know they all hate the guy i get it and no one wants to hear that he was injured i'm not using it as an excuse because every other player on the fucking roster sucked but i just mean to say even if you take at face value that he was injured Given the injury history, it's like the Anthony Davis thing. You can't trust him with the injury history plus the age to be yeah. the number two going forward. And we've suspected that for a while. We were just praying and crossing our fingers that he could last until the end of this playoff run and maybe that it would result in the ultimate goal of, of winning a championship. But now we know for sure. I mean, Chris Paul could come back next year and he could look solid again. He could look good. But he's not going to be number two on a championship team. He's just not. I think I often say this quote from Jalen Rose, happiness is a function of expectations. And I think the expectations the Suns had going into this postseason was a reason that many people are reacting that the way the way they're reacting. And I'm not for the record, not saying they shouldn't. I think people angry over this is the right reaction, particularly because the last game was such a embarrassing travesty if they fought in that game and still lost in seven games like you said different story people would be but defending they everyone yeah 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 because they didn't i think that you anyone's react anyone reacting that way is the right way to do it i will say that making the finals last year you know and this year's outcome if that was just flipped <laughs> and the suns lost in the second round last year made the finals and lost in the finals this year Everyone will be thinking differently. I do think that the, the last year's finals run painted this team in such a different light. <laughs> and look, I, I know people hate when anyone talks about this. I bring it up often. They did have some injury luck last year that allowed them to make the finals. And now I think that caused, we'll talk about them in a minute, but the front office to be a little overconfident in what this team could be. And then losing in the second round, it's magnified by the fact that they had the best record in the league by eight plus games or whatever it was. So I understand why it's frustrating, but it almost feels like in a way with that finals run, it's like they were speed running the jazz uh, run or like, <laughs> like some other team where like a core is put together. It competes for years and years and years. And then they go, well, this isn't working and we can't really make another change. So we got to make something big to change this core in order to compete in the future. But the Suns did that in two postseasons. You know, like they speed ran it. And now the game didn't just end badly. After the game, you're hearing about, of course, Chris Paul's quad injury. You're hearing about a potential uh, 
I don't know what to describe it as. Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton apparently getting into it on the bench, and even the idea has been floated that DeAndre Ayton refused to go into the game at some point, followed by quotes from Monty Williams talking about how they're not really going to talk about DeAndre Ayton's contract, and that's between him and the organization. Same with Devin Booker saying the exact same thing. Now all of a sudden, this two postseasons, this two postseasons that the Suns made could potentially be the end of this core entirely, and not not just because they lost because of a lack of talent, because to some extent, yes, that's true, but I also think they have a lot of talent. It's also because, for whatever reason, something wasn't right behind the scenes that we were not made aware of until now, and you know, no blame to put anywhere, I think, um, as far as that specific, because we don't know enough about it, but it's bizarre. It's like, like I said, it's like they're speed running some sort of end of a core uh, challenge in a video game or something. <laughs> what What are you referring to when you talk about something going on behind the scenes? You're talking just about the Aiton thing. Yeah, the Aiton thing. But I also think that the 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 level of which they mentally broke down. Oh yeah, no. I, okay, that's yeah, that's a better place in to take game it. seven to me points to. It's not a single game issue. Like something was happening. And look, to some extent, if, if Chris Paul was injured and they said, are we gonna really, are we really gonna take this hobbled Chris Paul into a series against the Warriors? And that was in the back of their minds the entire game, and that caused them to lose focus and play like shit. Yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that is part of it. I think. Yeah. Well, because I was just gonna say with Aiton, like, you know, as as much as we've carried water for this guy over the past four years or so, I, I hate to say it, but if you know, if there was any player on the Suns roster who you asked me before this happened, I guess, who is most likely to quit on the team halfway through a, a playoff game, if that is what happened, I, I understand it's like speculation or whatever, but who's most likely to just kind of not have the mental fortitude to continue on with, with you know, a high-intensity game like this? I mean, I, I think the choice is pretty clear. I, I think the warning signs have always been there with DeAndre Ayton. There's plenty you could say about DeAndre Ayton, and I don't want to entirely throw him under the bus here because, again, every single player played like shit. So to the greater point, it w- it wasn't so disappointing, or, or sorry, it wasn't so surprising that Chris Paul broke down again in the playoffs. If we're being honest, we know that the system was made to function, that the Suns have uh, these two kind of bicameral hubs of the offense in the backcourt between Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and without even one, it's hard for their offense to function because the other guy can be trapped. We've known that all along. It's just and when the other guy, when when Chris Paul is essentially worse than Ricky Rubio too, you yeah, know, it's, no. it's not even necessarily that it's it's just one of them isn't functioning. It's that they're functioning at like a negative. Level. It's just so disappointing that if there is that inside knowledge, and the Suns did know that Chris Paul was playing at forty percent. And they were basically just bluffing by having him out there when they knew he couldn't really do anything. No one else who we've been talking up all season long from our internal development series until now, whether it was Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, none of them were able to seize the moment and and do anything. They <laughs> accomplish absolutely anything, not just in Game 7, but for the most yeah. part, all three of those yeah. guys were a zero offensively this entire series. This was a terrible uh, DeAndre Ayton series, but it was also a terrible Mikhail Bridges series. So, you know, I, and and Booker obviously isn't exempt from any of this either. With with Booker, it's kind of a different issue, though. Their defense, Dallas's defense, was entirely designed to stop Devin Booker. And we've always known that, that you know, traps are obviously going to make a one-star offense less effective. But I do think we have more evidence to say now, and it's both statistical evidence and eye test evidence, that... Not only is it, duh, Devin Booker is going to struggle more when he's trapped, but I think it's Devin Booker struggles more against traps than other star players do. You know, for a while we've tried to trick... Other star players. Other star players. For a while we've tried to trick ourselves into Devin Booker, and I know he was... I'm not going to take anything away from him finishing fourth in MVP voting this year. Obviously, we advocated for it at certain points throughout the season, and I frankly, I still think he deserves that just on the basis of it's the historical precedent set in the NBA throughout history on if you score the most points on the on the best team, the best record, it's a regular season award, you're going to get votes for the award. So I have no issue with that. But Suns fans have been trying to trick themselves into believing that Devin Booker is like a top 7 to 10 NBA player for a while. And he's just not. Uh, he's a top 15 to 20 player, which is still really good. But like there are certain superstars who even when they're trapped, 
maybe they don't take over a game exactly, but they're able to score more than 0.8 points per possessions because they can do things like have a certain level of athletic burst in getting to the rim that Devin Booker, especially after a couple of hamstring injuries, just doesn't have. They can do things like be naturally six foot nine, six ten, see over the top of defenses, and make cross court reads that Devin Booker just can't. He's a really, really, really good player, but I just want to be clear: no one is exempt from uh, criticism right now. Devin Booker was not a number one. I, DeAndre Ayton, Mikael Bridges, none of them played like number twos, number threes, and it all just coalesced into an overall disaster. That's what happened. I I do think that. We just—I do want to remember the fact that those same traps that worked in this Dallas series didn't really work against Devin Booker and the Suns last postseason. And, you know, and you're right, but they worked all regular think, season this year too. It's a well documented fact that and trapping yeah, was the I best mean, way to guard Devin Booker. It is, and every you know every star player to some extent has like the best way to guard them. And then there's exactly as you said, there's players like Giannis, players like LeBron, players like KD where it just doesn't matter because they have physical advantages over other people. But I do think that I don't want to completely overreact to this game in particular because of how badly the rest of the team was functioning around that. And look, I'm not saying he didn't fail. I do agree with that. Okay. But I think when I start to when I start to think about how this team was constructed, I think about exactly what I talked about last offseason. And that's, I think, where it's kind of frustrating because, one, I'll, I'll say this. We have to talk about Monty and his responsibility in this series because I think he failed as well. <laughs> and everyone did, up and down. Real quick, Because you talk about James Jones as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I, I want to talk about Monty, but I also just want to push back. I'm sorry. Like, you don't think Devin Booker is a top 10 player after this playoff series, do you, in the NBA? Uh, I don't know. I, I struggle doing analysis by ranking in general. I understand. I think that there's a... Yeah, okay. Go ahead. I think there's a way to build a roster around Devin Booker that can win a championship, even if he's considered the best player on the team. And so I don't know if that means that he, if you would describe that as a top 10 player or not, maybe there's more than 10 players that you could do that with. But I don't think there is a limiting factor uh, of building a championship team around him. Because uh, I think they could have done it this year with a few tweaks, I, think <laughs> I guess is how I would look at they it. They could have done it this year with a few tweaks. And in general, I agree that in the perfect scenario, yes, he can be that superstar. But the limiting factor that you're speaking of is just the fact that you look at other superstars around the league, the true superstars, and they get something easy that Devin just doesn't get. He's not getting to the rim at the same level that he used to. He's not the playmaker that some of these other guys are. And what it means is... He's left having to rely on really difficult mid-range shot making. His pull-up shooting, to his, to his credit, is something that I complained about for years and then he improved it this year. But he has to rely on difficult shot making to propel him through playoff games. And in some games, he has that shot making and he looks awesome. And in other games, like the last two games of the series, he doesn't have that shot making and he looks terrible. Whereas other superstars, I mean, Luka always seems to have the step back three or get to the rim. Giannis is always going to get to the rim. And it's just like Devin doesn't have, or sorry, Book doesn't have a bread and butter that other guys have. Yeah. And again, I'm not trying yeah. to take anything away from the guy. It's just the reason it's important, Mike, and I'll, I'll let us move on to Monty after this. Again, we're going to go through everyone today. No, no, I want to talk about but this. Go ahead. he's about to be eligible for a four-year, $210 million contract it's, extension. It's, it's one of the biggest questions. Supermax contract extension yeah. that would take him to the end of his age 31 season. And it's like... You can't skirt that after a playoff, you know, after a performance like this in an elimination game. You just can't skirt that question. Yeah, I mean, here's here's what I'll say. I think that Luca clearly separated himself from Devin Booker in this series as well. At, but at the same time, Luca was going against Chris Paul on defense, and the Suns were playing him like shit <laughs> the entire series. And Agreed. the level of defense yeah. that he that he was, and this is a Monty question, right? The level of defense that Luca was forced to go against in this series was nowhere near the type of attention that Devin Booker was garnering. And this is credit to Jason Kidd because I think the Mavs did incredibly well as far as coaching and preparedness in, in order to stop Devin Booker. And and I think that that's why I'm saying that if there was a proper if there was a proper team around him where you could not send that kind of attention around him, I think he would have had a much better series and that would paint how we feel about him at this point. Uh, so I just tried to bring the context back into it and talk about the basketball around it in general without necessarily resorting to ranking players. This is not to say that you're wrong because ultimately he still has a lot to prove and he'll and he'll have hopefully have opportunities to prove that in the future. 
Um, but I would say that I am less concerned about him than probably anyone else on the roster still at this point. And, and that's, and that's still where I stand. Um, but I just think like in this series in general, every time he touches the ball, he's facing two guys. You shouldn't have a team this deep in the playoffs that they could just do that so easily with. There there should be some ways well, for teammates to allow him to, to face one-on-one coverage. You shouldn't have a core of teammates around him who are each demanding 20-plus million dollars a year in their own right who are that chicken shit to allow a situation like that. And, exactly. And who, yeah, exactly. Who can't provide. So, or, yeah, no, that's why. Who are turning down who are turning down three-pointers yeah. or or unable to move like Chris Paul or in DeAndre Ayton where you you have to run a play for him to catch the ball close enough to the basket for him to be effective, which means that everyone else around him could defend that relatively well, which I think they did, including the traps on Devin Booker. That also makes it hard for Devin Booker to get the ball to DeAndre Ayton. And, you know, like all of those things together – effectively took everyone else out of the game just by taking Devin Booker out of the game. And that's a credit to his effect on the rest of the roster. All right, let's move on to Monty. Set yeah, our piece, I set think, our piece on book for the time being. There will be plenty I, more uh, time this summer to debate it. Don't you people worry. We've got five more months of this sort of talk. So <laughs> give me your thoughts on yeah, Monty. I mean, like part of me is like, oh, cool. We have time to talk about the off season. Cause last year we had like a week before the draft. Yeah. Um, but I am Monty did a bad job <laughs> in this series. I am surprised that they just kept doing some of the same stuff that they were doing over and over and over again. If you're aware of a Chris Paul injury, why are you allowing him to guard Luka Doncic over and over and over again? Why are you not at some point at some point just go under on Doncic. He he's clearly not shooting the threes when people went under, which they occasionally did. And if he does, then you're relying on an offense of step back threes and, and off dribble threes from Luka Doncic, which maybe at times he will make at a high enough rate for them to win the game. But at some point you're just letting Chris Paul get abused with an injury over and over and over again. What could the excuse for allowing that possibly be? That makes sense. I can't imagine well, why you would do that. One excuse that we do have to bring up because we haven't talked about it yet is, and I'm not defending Monty, because, you know, I've had plenty of issues with Monty this series in general with the defensive strategy, but was it Chris Paul's stubbornness? What, is Chris Paul that stubborn that he demanded to be out there when he was hurting the team, and he demanded to guard in that particular act, uh, uh, system, that scheme? Um, but even if that's the case, Monty gets final word. He's the fucking coach. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even there, mm -hmm. you can paint it as being a negative thing for Monty Williams as well. I'm just bringing it up because I know other people are thinking it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, if that's the case, then that's still a failure on Monty. <laughs> right. It's just a failure on both of them you know, instead of it being a failure yeah. on one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And here's here's what I'll say. Offensively, I think it's difficult to come up with a plan uh, to overcome the fact that Chris Paul is not right this late in the season so maybe i can give him some leeway there but i mean at some point scoring 27 points basically in a half <laughs> is a disaster like you can't really allow that to happen and something has to give and even even i hate to say this even trying campaign again and i know he was bad but but having no other point guards besides chris paul and chris paul's playing it like I don't even know. 40%, 30% yeah, I said of his normal 40 self. earlier. I mean, you could argue 15, <laughs> you know, like he's not doing anything on ball and he's not doing anything off ball. Obviously that's a huge issue in terms of team building around Chris that we have to think about in the future. Right. Uh, as well is that even if you yeah. keep Chris on the team and he's now the third option or the fourth option, by some miracle, you bring in another guy in the 25 to $30 million tier range who can be a second score next to Devin Booker or maybe even a 1A, 1B type scenario, right? You still have Chris on the team. To what extent is Chris bringing anything next year? To what extent is yeah. Chris still effective as an off-ball player if you take the ball out of his hand? If you do exactly what a lot of Suns fans are now demanding, which is to take the ball out of his hands, put it in someone else's hands next to Booker, and have a more dynamic offense that way, well, Chris Paul's still on the team for at least one more season, possibly two, possibly more. We, we don't know. Um, and he might be good, but he might really not be if he's uh, mostly an off-ball player. So that's that's a whole other future discussion as well. Yeah, let's talk about that in a second. Um, because I think that's an important question 
I mean, this whole off the off season begins today. You know, <laughs> like today is the off. Oh, and season we're about now. to have fun. It's about <laughs> so we're gonna talk a lot. It's about, about it. to be a lot of people mad. There's about to be a lot of people mad every day. I'm gonna be instigating a little. I'm not gonna overdo it though. But uh, I'm I'm gonna let people get their rest for maybe the next week or two. But at a certain point this off season, I mean, we're just gonna have to go for it. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about James Jones. The, let's just let's just quickly talk about what we think the biggest questions can will before, be in this offseason. Before we just, do just shooting from the hip. We didn't really prepare for Okay, this. I do want to go biggest questions in the offseason, but real quick, because we talked about Monty, we talked about Book, we talked about Chris Paul. Can I quickly vent about James Jones as well? Yeah, and that ties directly into this conversation. That's why I was flipping okay, over Okay, okay. Great. Because we need to transition into this mindset of now what should the Suns do? But I I I can't lie. I mean, you know, I, I am totally prepared to put in the hours of research over the next several weeks and talk about here's how the Suns can improve via this avenue and via that avenue. But all of it, all of the effort is not necessarily worth anything if my faith and confidence in James Jones has been shaken this much. Because all season we complained. We complained at the trade deadline when he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything two trade deadlines in a row. The only things he did this offseason were bring in JaVale McGee, who was played off the floor in the playoffs, Landry Shamit, who was played off the floor in the playoffs, uh, and then goes into the goes into the trade deadline, acquires Torrey Craig, who did not really play, uh, Aaron Holiday, who did not really play. The Bismack Biombo signing was pretty cool. I will I will be honest, mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. But for the most part, what James Jones did over the past year was he sold us continuity. And it's exactly what you were saying at the beginning of the episode, by the way. I think you were alluding to this without actually talking about it yet, is got overconfident in the roster that they had after the finals run, uh, did not see a need to get a legitimate third guard, even when campaign had already kind of shown us who he was this season, and instead decided to acquire a bunch of 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th man types to bolster the roster for the playoffs. But you have to wonder, and, and, and maybe it's fair to say that Eric Gordon on the Suns roster right now, well, that wouldn't have really made the difference to like, you know, if Chris Paul's cooked, Chris Paul's cooked, and Eric Gordon isn't going to be the difference between a championship or no championship. Fair. But you can't deny that watching the product on the floor, uh, exactly what you were talking about, the frustration of seeing Devin Booker be trapped and how effective that was in just completely stalling the Suns' offense and the fact that there was no release valve, another guy who could dribble the fucking ball because campaign couldn't even touch the floor and Landry Shamit cannot dribble the ball. The frustration was palpable throughout the series and you have to wonder will you get a guy like eric gordon in there i mean maybe maybe you finish out dallas in five or six given some of the other games you were in maybe you finish out new orleans in five you know maybe chris paul never gets injured in the first place i don't know there's all sorts of what ifs that could potentially happen i'm not saying it would necessarily be the difference between the championship and no championship but the fact that we've seen for two years in a row that james jones just sat on his ass and did effectively nothing to bolster a championship roster it is concerning um, there are other things that he's done in the past that I've really liked, and I have no issue with highlighting those things as we talk now about how we feel he should approach the offseason. Uh, but on the whole, I can't help but feel also, you know, that he he shares in the blame as well. You cannot have a discussion about who is to blame for the 2021-2022 Phoenix Suns without dedicating your own little portion to James Jones because he absolutely shares in the blame. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. You want to talk about my look? The off season has started, and that usually means conspiracy theories for me. But my one conspiracy theory as to why James Jones would not trade a first round pick for somebody like Eric Gordon at the trade deadline is that they were potentially saving that first round pick <laughs> or the ability to trade multiple first round picks for this off season. To try to trade for a star player. Are you saying he already suspected that Chris Paul was too cooked to even try and win this year? (laughs) Is that what you're saying? I think that if you're trying to trade for a star player in today's NBA, it takes longer than a year. The plans are usually in place for a while. (laughs) So if they had any sort of idea that the possibility could be there, for them to trade for a star player in this offseason that they may have held on to that. Or maybe, maybe look, to your point, maybe they thought they had enough. And I think, look, Sam, I'll be honest. I think it's defensible to think they had enough to win a championship with the team that they had. I would have made the trade. You would have made the trade. But I don't think it's completely far-fetched to believe they had enough. If Chris Paul was healthy, they would have won this series, I think. And then they would have been in the Western Conference Finals with a chance to make it to the NBA Finals again. With, and then you're in the Finals. With, you could win the Finals. With still no third decent dribbler of the basketball on the entire roster, though. And and my yeah, issue everything is, is... Everything is on the shoulders of Chris Paul and my, Devin Booker right. in that case. Uh, so it is possible. But it's not a completely insane thing to think. I mean, it's somewhat insane. I, uh, yes, you're right. It's not completely insane. People have done it before. But like, and they were the best team in the league. You made by the a point. You made the point last night that like Spencer Dinwiddie is the third best. Yeah. was the third best dribbler. We of the have basketball. no Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we have none. Like that level of player, which he's fallen off, but he was very good in the last few games. The Suns had not, did not even have that level, which essentially is what Eric Gordon would be for the Suns at this point. They would be our Spencer Dinwiddie, somebody who could win two games just by hitting some shots that other people wouldn't expect. I agree with that. All I'm saying that the idea of trying to win a championship with this core in this offseason was not completely far-fetched and no, I still yeah, agree with you. Okay. They should have made they should have made moves. I just don't think it was like this insane idea. It's just yeah, Chris Paul and his health relying on that is the biggest factor uh for this team going forward and and we knew that when he was traded to this team, so maybe that is not really a defense. Here's here's what we do know of James Jones. Continuity that ain't going to cut it this year <laughs> because what continuity is there left in this team, right? Cam Johnson yeah. uh, is... I mean, they're all under contract except Aiton, basically. Yeah, I know. And, and okay, so this let's start with Aiton. The Suns, uh, just really briefly, the Suns could bring Aiton back. Obviously, that's going to be like a major defining storyline of the summer. Yes, Aiton could get a little bit better. Mikhail Bridges will maybe be back next season. I'm saying maybe with all these guys because I really don't fucking know anymore. Mikhail Bridges might be back next season and might be better. Cam Johnson might be back next season and might be better. But the level of internal development that you can squeeze out of these guys at this point, are you really going to try and trick yourself uh, into into believing that that could be the difference <laughs> I, another year in a row? There's yeah. zero chance. And, and if they do, Suns fans should fucking riot. I'm going to be fucking sick if they try and do that, the thought of having to go through an entire yeah. 
new season, an entire other regular season of having to do this podcast, hop on the mic multiple times a week and try and trick myself yeah. into believing that the it's same the core jazz of guys. It'd be doing the jazz thing, It'd be doing thing, the right? jazz That's thing. That's essentially what it'd it is. It'd be doing the yeah. jazz thing. It sounds like torture. I would rather someone literally fucking tie me down in some dungeon somewhere <laughs> and torture me than force me to do that. Okay, so that Let's, is okay. unacceptable. That We cannot do the continuity thing again. The only question in now... Is to what extent are you really blowing it up? Are we tweaking or are we blowing yeah, it yeah, up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because both are valid. Okay. Let's let's start with some questions here. Now I, I will just point out that you know from our conversations that I didn't even fully believe in the internal development idea last year. <laughs> we had to shift into talking about it once we knew they were doing nothing. Uh, but I was trying to trade these guys in the offseason last year for somebody like Pascal Siakam, which I don't know, maybe that wouldn't have worked either. But at least Devin Booker would have had a competent person next to him that could dribble the ball and make the right reads. Uh, that's tall enough to play make from a position of height. Um, but let's talk about Aiden. Because our very first episode of this podcast, we talked about the concept of Aiden being a small ball killer. Somebody who could counter small ball in a way that would allow the Suns to continue to play them on the court when teams go small and potentially turn that into a negative for the other team. Now the Suns lost against a team that basically put in the principles of small ball onto them over and over and over again. Now they had guys that were tall, but none of them as tall as DeAndre Ayton, but all of them shot threes, except for Powell who played like eight minutes a game. <laughs> Still funny. Yeah. So now we are entering into an offseason where DeAndre Ayton was beat in the exact way that he was supposed to not be beaten. Now, point the blame at whoever you want, but Ayton was not a massive factor in the series at all. And, you know, a couple of players weren't, but Ayton was one of them. <laughs> so now we're entering to the offseason where his contract is going to be the biggest storyline for this team going forward. And here's the options that the Suns have. They could offer him a contract. He could sign it right now. They could allow him to go to restricted free agency. Once he's in restricted free agency, they can get an offer from a team. The Suns have the opportunity to sign that or allow that team to have him for nothing. And they have basically three days to do that once the offer is signed. The final option is the sign and trade. The sign and trade would allow the Suns to trade him to a team that has no cap space. Very few teams have cap space this year. And essentially take some money from those teams including a player that allows him to go to that team and sign for whatever amount that they're offering it to him. The way that this team talked about Deandre Ayton at the end of this series, maybe this is an overreaction, but the way they talked about him, it would surprise me if he was back based on how they had that conversation, especially after the fact that they, first of all, didn't trade him last year, which if they didn't believe he was part of the future, they should have probably traded him last year when he was still under contract for, a significant amount of money that could have brought a good player back to the Suns. Yeah. And then didn't sign him to an extension. And now he's in restricted free agency and they're talking about him like he quit on the team at the end of the game. Yep. So what do you think about, first of all, what's your first reaction to what we're facing with DeAndre? In this so summer? I want to agree with you because just to be totally frank, like James Jones, <laughs> he, he doesn't. I don't think James Jones likes DeAndre Ayton. I don't think he ever really has. I've felt that for a while. I've, I've felt I've, that he, ever he since he's gotten here. He didn't here. draft him. He didn't, yeah. And James Jones, you know, he likes... He likes... He likes Cam sickos. Johnson. I don't know how to say it. He likes sickos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I don't know that he believes that DeAndre Ayton is one of those guys. And maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I don't personally know him. But the evidence is not really in DeAndre Ayton's favor. Uh, look, you know, like, this was his opportunity to make money in these playoffs. It's just the fact... He lost It's some. just the fact that we're... Shooting from the hip here. And yes, it's always felt like James Jones has kind of just tolerated DeAndre Ayton. If he really liked him that much, he would have offered the contract last year. Now, that being said, here's the issue. The 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 issue with, because I think sign and trade, those three words are going to become like the theme of this summer for a lot of Suns fans. And here's the problem. Mm -hmm. Sign and trades are not as common as you think they are because they're actually really yeah. complicated. The the there's I'm not going to get into all the rules because to be honest, if I try and explain right now, I'm going to get stuff wrong. And so we'll have to have a more detailed episode at some point closer to free agency when this stuff could actually happen where we really, really focus on getting it right. But there's really difficult rules in place in terms of salary matching when it comes to sign and trades that make sign and trades not that common in the first place. The other thing is 
there's sort of a, a, a middling effect with sign and trades where teams that are above the luxury tax apron are not allowed to accept a player via sign and trade. If you're in the luxury tax, you can't get a player via sign and trade. And similarly, on the other end of the spectrum, teams that have cap space have no incentive to go for sign and trades because they're just trying to sign players outright without giving up an asset to begin with. So the biggest spenders are not in this conversation. The lowest spenders are not in this conversation. Those teams that are your competition that might actually be uh, offering Aiton an offer sheet uh, that uh, you know force you to either match or not outright. So if you talk about a sign and trade, you're really only dealing with a small pool of teams. I don't know exactly who those teams are today. At some point, we can we can really talk about it. We can get you a list. We can get you targets. But you're talking about a relatively small pool of teams in the middle and then an even smaller pool of teams in the middle out of those who actually have interest in A, paying DeAndre Ayton and B, also forfeiting an asset in return, whether that be a first-round pick, whether that be some sort of role player who can actually contribute to playoff basketball. So a lot of Suns fans are going to talk about signing trades, but I just want to be clear, if the Suns had just re-signed the guy last summer and then traded him this mm-hmm. summer, they'd get a much, mm-hmm. much better return. Signing trades are not and, that and common. And part of that's on Ayton, right? Because yeah. it would be a lot harder to trade him if he has on a, like a five full five-year max. Yeah, that's at true. This point. Signing yeah. trades are not that common, and the value that you get on them is depleted. So, yes, it's an option. Definitely, we're going to talk about it. We're going to explore it. I just don't want people to be under the impression that, oh, we can just sign and trade him. No big deal. Like, sign and trades are difficult, and you don't get 100% value. LeBron James... You have no leverage. LeBron James went to Miami from Cleveland in a sign and trade, and Cleveland got back two late first-round picks that were, like, the 30th overall pick. That's the type of value you often get in sign and trades, okay? This is not like, oh, let's just send DeAndre Ayton to Toronto for Pascal Siakam. You know, it's like, it's not... It doesn't work like that, okay? So, the Suns have options this offseason, for sure. What I really like about actually about James Jones is that if he plays this right, there are a lot of indications that the way that he's negotiated contracts with re-signing certain players over the past couple of years, he's done so in a specific way to set the team up with financial flexibility to sort of wheel and deal the right contracts, if you will. There is an avenue here for the Suns to improve, but it's not as easy as just, yeah, let's just sign and trade DeAndre Ayton and get a different 25 point per game score instead because i'm just gonna tell you guys right now that's not happening well he's not even that anyway uh you you can't trade a guy who's not that for a guy who is now having said that there are teams that are potentially rebuilding that might want a player like him houston maybe washington i don't want to say any bradley beal stuff (laughs) But, but like there are teams that might want a young player to build around Instead of, uh, you know, an aging player, um, you know, and like, I'm not saying you trade DeAndre Ayton for Eric Gordon, but I'll be 100% honest, that's closer to the type of value you get from a signing trade than getting a star player out of a signing trade because he's not under contract. Therefore, you don't have a ton of leverage because the leverage the Suns have in the case of a signing trade is entirely based off the willingness to keep DeAndre Ayton. Right, because otherwise they have no leverage. It's basically Their leverage a team is based on the fact that he's a restricted free agent. It's basically a team doing you a favor. If you get a mid first round pick and a role player who can play twenty minutes, you're doing pretty well with a sign and trade. Honestly, like you know, it's it's just not great. It's not a great situation. And so again, for that reason, what's the other option? Yes, we said James Jones probably doesn't like DeAndre Ayton. Honestly, I do believe that. But he could also just re-sign him regardless and maybe sit on him for a year and see if his value uh, if his value appreciates again and revisit it at the trade deadline this year or next year. I'm sure Aiton's agent wouldn't be thrilled with that scenario, yeah. but maybe he would be. Or Aiton potentially. Maybe. Or Monty maybe. Or Monty. There's all sorts of possibilities. Maybe, he, maybe Aiton would be thrilled with that situation because the Suns are the only team that can offer him the full bird right 8% raises on a contract or whatever. You know, So there's all sorts of things that could happen here. And we're just going to have to see how it plays out. But definitely when you're considering who are the assets that the Suns have available to them uh, or just who are the pieces who might not be here next year, yes, the conversation starts with DeAndre Ayton. The number one question for the Suns this offseason is what they do with DeAndre Ayton. They drafted him number one overall. And look, I'm not going to pretend like I didn't notice the fact that the Suns were just beat by the guy they could have drafted instead of him. <laughs> I know everyone's tired of hearing that. But that just happened. We just watched it happen. There was a mistake made in that draft. And now they have to figure out what to do with the player they picked. 
And and the fact that this end of the game made me less and less confident that they would keep him is related to whatever happened on the bench, but also to how he played on the floor. And I don't know that the Suns can afford to max a guy uh, and eat that much cap space with a guy playing like DeAndre and with Chris Paul being 38 next year in the playoffs. Mike, I'm gonna, you know, getting closer and closer to 40. Real quick, before we move on to other guys, I feel like I just need to lob it to you because I know we've talked about it before. There are people, I'm sure, who are listening right now who are mad at us at the fact that we seem so certain based on this conversation that just feels like DeAndre Ayton's not going to be a son within the next 12 months or so, right? Maybe it's a maybe they sign him and trade him later. Maybe they sign and trade him immediately. Yeah. But it feels like yeah. we're not super confident. And I know there are people who are mad right now and saying, why don't you just bring him back and give him the ball and actually do what you always said you might try and do and run the offense through him and see how it goes. Uh, give me your give me your quick take reaction there. Uh, and why we are so why you at least are so certain that that is not yeah. the way to go because I know there are people who believe that truthfully. Yeah. I mean, I I watch the game. <laughs> I watch the games, <laughs> and I spend a lot of time watching the games. I don't know really how to put it any other way than that. You you either yeah. for me it's you either have the mindset or you don't. I know people are upset. Who who is a player who's a player comp that's like DeAndre? It's only Embiid, right? Uh, define That's the only define, comparison you can make where that works. Define being like DeAndre Ayton, as in like feed him, <laughs> feed him the ball in the post and run the offense through him. The only guy who does that yeah. these days is Joel Embiid, and Joel Embiid averages like sixty times more free throw attempts per game than DeAndre Ayton. On like even if right. you do it proportionally on like a per touch basis or whatever, he still averages more than like five to ten times the amount of free throws as DeAndre Ayton because you either have the mindset or you don't. And look. And, and how about the ratio of dribbles to turnovers? Yeah. Right? No, it's it's he doesn't look. Aiton turns it over the majority of the time he tries to do anything other than what we allowed him to do as a team this last year. Here's the truth, man. There are certain situations, like only a few teams have cap space this year, but I could see Detroit going all out for DeAndre Ayton, and I could see him looking really good as, as a future cornerstone yes. next to Cade. Uh, San and he Antonio, was really great this year in the regular season. San, really San great. Antonio could go for DeAndre Ayton. Obviously, I believe that San Antonio could develop him. It's not the fact that he's never developed in the past four years. His hook shot, as we've talked about and defended and, and kind of pumped up all season long, it's fucking deadly. But on the mm-hmm. whole, a max contract, offensive hub, like a true creator who consistently dribbles the ball and is aggressive in looking for contact layups and dunks that send him to the free throw line and anchors your offense. I mean, if there's anyone out there who still honestly believes that DeAndre Ayton could be that be that guy after the player we've watched for the past four years, come on. Really? Yeah, I, I also saw some people asking why the Suns were not running pick and rolls. And one reason was if they did, and they did for the record, they were still running pick and rolls with DeAndre Ayton. They trapped Devin Booker, making the pass to Ayton impossible. And he had to swing it to the wing, which was often either Chris Paul or uh, Jay Crowder or Mikhail Bridges or somebody like that, which just stalled the offense out entirely. And if they were running Chris Paul's with, or, I'm sorry, Chris Paul pick and rolls with DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul could not move very well. And that was the reason you don't run it there. So they were still running those plays. And the fact that the fact that Aiton has to be on the receiving end of that pass at the end of that play is exactly the reason that you can't make him the offensive hub. He's just he he provides a ton of other value in a ton of other ways. That's not one of them. And the Suns still need a player that's capable of doing that in order to take pressure off Chris Paul, who is now aging. So, and that's I think the second biggest question: How can the Suns have an offense that one? allows Chris Paul to take more of a backseat and can he do that because that's a question a lot of people have and I honestly think the best example for him would be the coach that just beat him Jason Kidd won a championship <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a decent point taking more of a backseat role uh, as a guy willing to take catch and shoots still running the offense a significant amount of time but there has to be an offensive player worthy of taking those reps away and from Chris Paul because some people will say Chris Paul can't do it right now he, he shouldn't it's just Devin Booker and him mm-hmm. who else is going to take those reps we just broke it down he needs to do and that to me it, to me it's a failure <laughs> of the management yeah. for not providing him any sort of option to take those reps away from him the fact that he can't develop his off-ball game I believe he can personally and I think he can be effective but it only works if there's somebody worthy of taking those reps yeah to, well to me if let's just be honest, if you're trying to replace 
Chris Paul the playmaker, like if that's your idea going into the offseason, uh, you're it's a guaranteed failure. It's just impossible. You can't replace who Chris Paul is as a game manager. What you can try to do is get a player who on the whole is about as impactful as Chris Paul by mitigating the defensive disaster that he was in these playoffs. So maybe you get a player who isn't quite the playmaker that Chris Paul is, but he has to be a guy who's basically a, a six seven up two-way wing who can also run pick and rolls which i know this is like it's not that easy to actually get that player it's how you win a championship but that's how you win a championship you go the boston route and you pair devin booker i don't know if you want to compare devin booker more to jason tatum or jalen brown but the point is you need another player in that mold next to devin booker who can do some scoring and some playmaking and then chris paul can kind of take a back seat to those two guys and you can focus on really having the best defensive uh, presence and 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 footprint around him and not necessarily have to worry about is this guy who is not I don't want to say necessarily that he's a defensive liability because he's a very smart defensive player but at least in this series where he was injured he looked like a oh he absolutely he was. absolutely was yeah. a defensive liability and not having to worry about playing that and putting that on the floor for 36 to 40 minutes anymore uh, in the playoffs right. would be huge so right. you can't replace or you could run a lineup where Devin Booker's still on the floor yeah and you still have two offensive players that can run. You can't replace Chris Paul, the playmaker, but you can maybe replace his value overall. That's what we're trying to do. Get a guy who can give you some offense and some defense. Man, Mike, Pascal Siakam would have been really fucking good. You would have gotten on the ground know. floor. I tried. That was a great, tried, that was a great yeah. idea 12 months ago, but oh well. Um, and people thought they weren't going to make the playoffs. And hey. The they, they ended up being pretty good on the backs of Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam. And, and also... You know, there is this guy, his name's Mikhail Bridges. He had a pretty good regular season this year. Um, he's, you know, it's. It, do you even want to talk about Mikhail? It's difficult with him because it's like, I feel like I would keep Mikhail. I still believe that he's going to get better. I don't think he's going to be that player at all. I still if think I he's going to, to be rank. better. But uh, let me just say, if you're going to now go out and try and trade for a star and you need a combination of yeah. expiring contracts, which the Suns do have... Yeah. But also an actual he's an obvious an one, actual yeah. valued asset that maybe some other team would covet. Mikhail Bridges kind of feels like that guy. Right. So there I are mean, a lot yeah. of trade packages I, you could put together for maybe a better score if you're willing to part with Mikhail Bridges. I'm it doesn't make me feel super comfortable about the future defense uh, that I was just talking about that I want this to be a great defensive team, but I'm just saying you gotta look at what you have. And DeAndre Ayton is not going to get you 100% value because of the whole sign-and-trade situation. So what does that leave you with? It leaves you with, unless you're trying to literally blow up the entire goddamn thing and trade Devin Booker and Chris Paul, which fine. Um, Chris Paul is not going to get you anything in, in the first place. So what does that leave you with? It leaves you with first-round picks, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson. Not really anything else. Yeah, yeah it's, it is nice that the Suns have first-round picks in this offseason. I'll, I'll say that. It would be nicer to have a championship, obviously. Um, but at least they have some level of flexibility. They don't have this year's picks, but they own every single one after that. So they have options to make trades if they really, really desperately want to. I'm assuming Chris Ball and Devin Booker are just on the team, so we'll start there. If I had to rank the guys after that, Mikael Bridges probably has the best contract for the level of play that he can provide to this team, so he would be third. DeAndre Ayton falls after that because paying him a max, I still think, is a dangerous move that you probably shouldn't do, especially after what we just saw. You know, if the Suns are going to continue to play teams like the Mavericks, which they probably will, who legitimately have a chance to make the NBA Finals at this point, every year, and now they're playing five out against a star who can just isolate you one-on-one. And and honestly, they took turns scoring on DeAndre Ayton in Game 7, uh, both him and Spencer Dinwiddie. If that's something you can do, then you have to wonder if that's worth $170 million. So, yeah, my, um, I think it's pretty obvious. My, so, Booker, I think, is going to continue to be on the team just because what's the alternative? You know, the alternative is you're going full scorched earth policy and you want to become the Oklahoma City Thunder. I, to be honest, don't entirely hate that idea, but I don't think James Jones is going to do it. So, it's that is what it is. Then you've got Chris Paul next to him. What can you get for Chris Paul? You want to do another Ru- Russell Westbrook swap? Go ahead. But, you know, I, yeah, right. it's like, so so it's like, I, I think there are some Suns fans right now. First of all, I think there are some Suns fans who are being a little bit too disrespectful to Chris Paul, regardless of how it ended. Absolutely. Yeah. I have only, yeah. I, I have so many positive memories from him coming and still transforming the franchise over the next two years. His contract, if you look at it, even in the absolute worst case scenario for Chris Paul, and this is where, again, the, the positive side of James Jones comes into play. The the way that I think he's negotiated things well in terms of getting guys on good contract extensions, even in the absolute worst case, 
disaster scenario for Chris Paul where he comes back next year, can't stay healthy, looks old, is basically Steve Nash in a Lakers yeah. uniform where he's just and he's he's just he's gone. just he's just gone and you know he's going to have to retire. Even in that disaster scenario, the Suns have to pay Chris Paul for next year $30 million, and then they can cut him at the end of next year before his deal becomes fully guaranteed. There's going to be a $15 million dead cap hit the next season once he's already gone off the roster, but then you're done. You, you wash your hands of it. And honestly, if that's your worst case scenario for talking about the future of this guy, that's a pretty good deal if you're the Suns. Like that's, it's, it's really the reality, not that bad. The reality of Chris Paul being on the Suns is that the only reason if things broke right the Suns could have won a title like the, and that that is what happened with Chris Paul they did not and they did not win a title uh and without him if things break right you're the eighth seed you know like that's just where you're at and the difference between what he provides and what the team is without him is pretty massive My, you know that you're either, you're either the Timberwolves this year or you're the Suns this year and if you're mad about being the Suns this year, then maybe you just don't like being in this competitive environment. My third most likely player to return next season after Chris Paul and Devin Booker might be Bismack Biombo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's they're gonna be they're How about, they're I, gonna be over the just hear me out. They're gonna be over the cap. They're gonna need veteran minimum guys yeah. anyway, because you can only basically yeah. sign veteran minimum contracts if you're over the cap, possibly paying paying the luxury tax. We don't know about that. They probably will be. Um, and so Bismack just feels like a culture guy. Like he was a win signing for James Jones. He played pretty well in the playoffs. Just feels like, yeah, take a roster spot after that. Everyone else is on the table in trade discussions. Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking about Saric who is an expiring deal next year, about $10 million, slightly less than $10 million. And Crowder in particular. And I found myself thinking, man, should they just keep him if they're letting Deandre and go? Like, is this is something where we need Sharich to be like our Maxi Kleba, you know, for, for Devin Booker? Because the weird thing about Devin Booker and Chris Paul and the difference between those two guys is I think Devin Booker probably would be better in a scenario closer to how the Mavs are built. And Chris Paul kind of needs a guy like DeAndre Ayton. So they need to find some sort of balance between those two guys in order to be great. Because I think those two guys, as far as the type of big men, that they uh, can use to succeed are different. And Devin Booker probably would benefit from, you can't really double him, right? And and Chris Paul kind of can leverage when defenses bend against them with a roller. Um, so it's just kind of an interesting thing where you can find the right big man for those two guys and they might be slightly different, whereas Sharich might be someone who benefits Devin Booker. But like obviously, if you're trying to make a trade to improve, that's a guy, you just throw it in there. Because you're trading into a team, they could cut him, right? Yeah. And just pay him for the rest of the year, and then he can go find a new team. Uh, but I, yeah, I just found myself thinking about I that. I posted to Twitter that the Suns have $25 million in expiring deals. These are the contracts that teams are always looking for because it, teams that are trying to um, disavow themselves of like whatever assets they have and then go into an offseason with cap space, right? These are the contracts they're looking for. They're looking for middling players who are around the mid-level exception in terms of contract value but are expiring. And the Suns have $25 million worth of money committed to Jay Crowder, Dario Saric, and Torrey Craig, who's at about $5 million. I, I always forget, by the way, that Torrey Craig signed a two-year deal a two year last deal. summer. So yeah. when he came back to Phoenix, it wasn't just like a one and done this time. He is under contract for another year. Um, if you include campaign in that discussion, who doesn't actually count as an expiring contract, but only has a partially guaranteed for $2 million third year of his deal, so you could easily cut him and then just pay him $2 million to fuck off. It's a possibility. If you include campaign in that situation, you're up to like $30, $31 million um, in expiring contracts. This is kind of the, the the sort of thing that I'm talking about where James Jones has options here. He just needs to, for once, like totally get rid of the idea of continuity, and I think he will. But if he doesn't, it's a total disaster and he should be fired. I'm saying that right now. But if he if he does do the right thing here, he has about $30 million of expiring contracts to work with. You can go out, and if you attach picks and maybe assets, maybe it takes a Mikhail Bridges, maybe it takes a Cam Johnson, who knows. You have the money, though, to make deals work. You can go out and you can make something work. You can radically change this roster. Um, the world is your oyster, but you need to do something. And just to demonstrate again the fact that the roster is set up in a way where the Suns have movable pieces. 
That's an underrated thing to have, honestly, because a lot of championship contenders are set up like if you look at the general roster composition of like a lot of big three type teams, it's like, well, here are three guys who are making $30 million each. And then the entire rest of the roster are guys making less than $5 million. And those teams really struggle to yep. find ways to improve because they're capped out, which means they can't add anyone via free agency who's not a veteran minimum player. And they can't add anyone via trade because they can't find the salaries to match. The only way they would be able to match is to trade one of their star players, which obviously they don't want to do. So the Suns being in this situation where they have a bunch of average players making around $10 million a year, Landry Shamit is another one, by the way. His contract is not as bad as it looks because it's only guaranteed for the next two years. Even though it says it's a four-year deal, it's only guaranteed for two years. James Jones has options. Now he needs to get to work. It's one of the nice parts about Chris Paul not being on a max, to be honest. The Suns have some flexibility because he's, you know, I want to say I don't want to say only making $30 million a year, but like DeAndre Ayton would have made more in his contract at times if he signs a max contract and will at, at times um, if he signs a max contract with the Suns or another team. Chris Paul makes less than that, and that gives the Suns some flexibility. It'd be nice for the Suns to have a third player, a third star, that could play alongside those two guys that can actually like be part of the pick and roll with one of them <laughs> because Devin Booker and Chris Paul for as good as they are together, having a third guy that would make it harder to trap either one of them would make a pretty good difference. I have more questions that we should just save at this point okay. because we're going to have a lot of time to talk about this team <laughs> and this off season. So those are some of the biggest ones that were on our minds going into this podcast. And look, there's a, there's a pretty big chance or, or a chance that we're going to look back onto this podcast and say that we were completely overreacting to something that happened. Maybe things changed dramatically. I did see, by the way, uh, earlier that Woj on ESPN said that DeAndre did not feel valued by the Suns organization and there will be teams lining up to offer him a max contract this summer. Um, okay. So we'll see. We'll see if that's true. Go ahead. And we'll see how it goes for them. <laughs> but... Um, I want to switch over and talk about something else. If you're just here, honestly, if you're just here to hear Suns talk and you're not really like a fan of Sam and I, feel free to end this podcast now because I do want to talk about some stuff that is just sort of relevant to people who are fans of this podcast. And that is to say that I want to say thank you to people that listen to this podcast because it's honestly been a pretty crazy ride. Sam and I just met on Reddit and we decided that there was a void for the type of podcast that we make in, in Suns coverage. And we just started it, even though we had never met each other. And this year, we launched a Patreon, which hundreds of people joined, which is a shock to me still to this day. We had a former NBA player on our podcast for the very first time uh, in JJ Redick. And we had, I think, one of my favorite things I've ever done in, in that podcast. You know, we had more listeners in this podcast this year than any other time for us we partnered with playback and we were able to do something new bring something new to you guys sam and i appeared on on kevin o'connor's podcast on the ringer podcast network this year uh, i even went on an athletic podcast this year all of this is to say that none of that would have been possible without the people that listen to this podcast and to be honest i'm almost surprised that all of it happened this year so it's been as as frustrating and sad this last ending was for the Suns, and honestly, I'm sad just for the guys because I know they're hurt. It has been a great year for us in this podcast, thanks to the people that listen to this podcast, and I am eternally grateful to them and surprised daily at the amount of love that you guys give us. So thank you very much. Echoed 100%. I never take this community for granted, this community as in those who listen to us, but also just the Suns community at large. Um, definitely we spend a lot of time on Suns Twitter and I never take that for granted even in the most disappointing moments like last night there's still some super 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 awesome people so many uh, that I've met over the years so yes thank you to everyone who's continued to be along for the ride and I would just add to this last night sucked it sucked so hard uh, for some of you like I I kind of like I said at the beginning I was able to process and move on pretty quickly but everyone has their own speed to it and so if it was even difficult for you to get through this podcast and like hear about let's trade this guy, let's trade that guy. If you just need to decompress and check out for a little while, I get it. You know, there's no hard feelings for anyone who just needs to like take a break, a lengthy break from Suns basketball. 
um, including if that means, you know, you're just going to not listen to us for a little while and then you check back in at some point during the summer or even next season. We totally get it. And, and to be honest, we expect it from a lot of people. So thank you to everyone, um, though, who continues to listen. Yeah. You guys are the best. And we'll still be rolling on. We're, we're still going to do podcasts weekly. You know, we might take time off here and there, but we're still going to do our regular podcast weekly. We'll be back with our regular weekly Patreon podcast sometime midweek. We'll, we'll be doing a mailbag. If you want to listen to that one, you can sign up at our Patreon. But for the patrons, get your, get your questions ready. We'll post asking for those questions sometime in the next few days. But this podcast still rolls on. We'll be covering the offseason and we'll be back next season as well. So thank you guys very much. We'll be back very it's soon. It's draft season. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.